Good afternoon. This is Jeff Smelser, and you are watching Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. And today I am at home in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And with me, as usual, will be someone. And it's going to be Chase Byers. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? It's good to see you today. Good to see you. And also with us, as usual, is sometime. Well, I don't know. Should we introduce him until he shows his face, or should we just just, uh, not introduce him? Well, anyway, Joe Works will be joining us from Elmira, New York, here momentarily, I'm sure. And, of course, as always, Drew DeGrotto is behind the scenes, uh, making sure everything goes smoothly or at least as smoothly as we can make it go technologically. Today we're going to be talking about signs of the end times. Chase, you had anybody ask you if what we're seeing going on right now is there signs of the end times? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, with, with the coronavirus, with all these people getting sick and, and, you know, even people dying in the midst of a crisis like this in this pandemic, you know, surely maybe this is the end. Maybe this is the end that, as they say, that Revelation talks about. Maybe this is the end of it all. Yeah. And so we need to be aware. Throwing a few earthquakes. There was an earthquake in uh, Utah last week and in Croatia and uh, news today of one off the Kuril Islands. I don't know how to say that, but between Korea and Japan. And uh, I've had that question put to me by a couple of people. Uh, are these the signs of the end times? And Which, you mentioned people will say, uh, yeah, it doesn't say something about that in Revelation, right? Yeah. And I mean, which to be fair, I, I understand people's, you know, they're, they're scared because I mean, how often do we have a, a pandemic like this happen? Not very often. How often do we see earthquakes, you know, go through the land? I realize some are more frequent than others, but we've had, it seems like some pretty big earthquakes lately. And so when all these things kind of stack up like this, it makes people panic and they think about what the Bible has to say about that. So I can see people, I can see why people kind of run to that to ask that question. But um, yeah, they, they go to Revelation. So let's uh, talk about what Revelation might say or might not say here in a minute. But first of all, let's just affirm that there's going to be an, a time that is going to be the end. There's going to be a last day. The Lord is going to return. Uh, Chase, in Acts, the first chapter, when Jesus ascended um, and uh, the disciples, the apostles there watched him ascend, uh, verse 9, when he had said these things as they were looking, he was taken up and the cloud was uh, out of this night. Yeah. uh, We need to promote Joe to a panelist. Oh. Go over to your attendee page. Sorry, everybody. We're trying to get Joe in here, and you just need to promote him to a panelist. All right. All right. We will get and then And then I guess uh, I guess it might be the first promotion Joe's ever had, so he's probably really <laughs> excited. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see if that got him in. Did I do the there right? There he is. You see him? I see his name. I think he needs to unmute himself and unmute his mic. Come on in, Joe. Make yourself at home. All right. Well, while he's getting set up there, you were in Acts 1 uh, there, Jeff, making the case that Jesus, whenever he ascended into heaven, what happened? Yeah, a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking, verse 10 says, into, as they were looking into heaven uh, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye looking into heaven? This Jesus who was received up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you beheld him going into heaven. There have been various comings of the Lord and various comings of the Lord in clouds, but it seems to me in this passage when he says you're going to see him coming in like manner, this is talking about a literal visible return of Jesus that's going to happen at some point. And uh, the New Testament talks about this in various places, doesn't it? Hey, Joe. Yeah, it does. Glad you could make it in, Joe. Well, thanks for the promotion. Um, I wonder if, uh, would, would you all see First Thessalonians 4 and 5 uh, related to that topic? 
I would. I certainly would. Um, you know, Paul is writing in 1 Thessalonians 4 to reassure uh, the Thessalonian Christians that those who have fallen asleep, in other words, those who have died, are not going to miss out when the Lord does return. And so he says in verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also that are, are fallen asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And he describes it. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we that are alive, that are left unto the coming of the Lord, shall in no wise Well, Jeff cut out a little bit there. from heaven with a shout. Yeah, the you, archangel. you cut I, out. Go I ahead and repeat those last couple verses. Verse uh, 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we that are alive, that are left, shall together with them be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's interesting, the next verse doesn't say, so be terrified by this. It says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Yeah. Isn't that a really cool idea? I mean, these people, they were afraid of death, but Paul is saying you don't have to be afraid of it. In fact, you can comfort one another for it and be ready for the resurrection. And, and uh, comfort one another with respect to those who've already died. They will be there with us. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. Now, it's interesting, Joe, you mentioned this passage. Um, do we see anything in this passage where Paul is saying, now here's how you're going to be able to tell this is about to happen. Do we see anything that says, here are the signs that are leading up to that? Well, uh, there are certainly some verses here that I think apply to that point, um, uh, maybe especially going on into chapter five, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Uh, so speaking we, we keep thieves, on reading every day. Speaking of thieves and uh, pregnant women, <clears throat> have you all ever had a thief break into your house? No, I've had a pregnant I, woman come into my house. Well, I've had a pregnant woman in the house when a thief broke in. Wow. Yeah. Um, when uh, Libby was pregnant with, I think it was with Nathan or Holly, um, one night uh, we had a thief come in through the kitchen window and she got up in the middle of the night and uh, apparently her moving about walking downstairs startled the thief and he took out the window, uh, went out the window. But you know what he didn't do? He did not make an appointment. Wow. How rude. Uh, and he came at night on our calendar. <laughs> I think that's kind of the point here. It's, it's going to come without warning, but Joe, go on in verses three and four and five. He makes the point that doesn't mean that we need to be worried or that we will, we will be unprepared or that it will be as a thief for us if we're God's people. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Verse five, you are all sons of light. I like that phrase. Uh, and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So uh, we don't need to be afraid of that, but we need to be watchful. We need to be sober minded. Uh, we need to be serving the Lord because that day is not going to be announced. In fact, it, it's almost the opposite. Uh, they say peace and safety, and then it suddenly comes in verse 3 is the, the description uh, that, that he's painted for us. 
So it doesn't sound like that it's necessarily going to be a time when everybody is alerted because of terrible things that have coronavirus, earthquakes, or whatever. Now, could the could the Lord could the Lord come tonight? He could. Could he come next month? He could. We don't know when he's going to come. But the attitude we need to have is we want to be sons of the light so that we're not in darkness when he comes. And then if we're not in darkness, it will not affect us as a thief in the night because we're not in the night. Going along with that thief in the night, I was going to connect to Second Peter 3. But yeah. Ju, uh, Joe, it looked like you had something else to say about that. Well, I was going to say that notice the, the, the parallelism in chapters 4 and 5, uh, 4.18, comfort one another with these words. Verse uh, 5.11, therefore comfort one another. Uh, the, the return of Christ uh, is intended to be a, a time of rejoicing. It's a, it's a, a great victory. Uh, it, it's something that ought to give us peace and, and comfort, as he describes here. Uh, so whether it's going to happen anytime soon or whether it's going to be another 2,000 years from now, it's something that we ought to not be afraid of, as Jeff said earlier. Yep, very good point. So in Second Peter 3, this same idea of a thief in the night is used there. And uh, backing up just a little bit in verse 9 of Second Peter 3, Peter tells us that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You know, Peter's giving this admonition. He wants all, God wants all to be forgiven. He wants all to come to him. And he is being patient toward you as long as you're still alive so that you can come to him. Don't roll the dice. And here's why. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter's point here, yes, we learn a little bit more about the coming of Christ. But really, Peter's point is, don't just roll the dice. Christ can come at any moment. Get your life right now while God is still being patient toward you. Yeah. But in this, we do get a glimpse of what the coming of Christ is going to look like. It's, again, like a thief in the night, like Jeff and Joe have already described. But once he does come, he tells us that the earth and all that's in it, it's going to be burned up. It's going to be gone. Now, guys, there's really no warning here about when that's going to happen. It's just telling us what it's going to look like when it does happen. So, okay. Then we talked right at the outset that with the things that are happening, there are people who are asking us, well, are these signs of the end times? And they say, doesn't the book of Revelation say, and you mentioned this, Chase, they say, doesn't the, Revelation, the book of Revelation say Something about those signs that are going to indicate the end is, is near. So what about that? I had a conversation with somebody just recently who made this observation. Of course, I said, well, where in the, Revelation, where in the book of Revelation does it say that? Well, somewhere in there doesn't it say that. It's more an impression that people have, but let's talk about that just for a little bit. Well, before we go to Revelation, um, if it's okay with you guys, what my mind goes to when I hear people thinking about the end times and specifically warnings of end times is passages like uh, Matthew 24. Yeah, because there we do have signs of, of the end, but not the same end. So let's go there. That, that's good. Let's do that. Yeah. So I, I do think people, you know, I see why their brains are going there. They're like, well, the Bible does give warning signs of some type of end. And so I think they might be getting it confused with um, 
with the end, the end. But we have to remember in biblical language, there are many ends. There are many times that God is going to come in judgment or Jesus will come in judgment. If, if somebody was trying to, uh, to, to call one of us right now and, uh, uh, you know, maybe we just sent a quick, t- quick text and said, um, I'm, in this, I'm in a study right now, but, but it, we're almost at the end. Well, we would understand that context of at the end, oh, at the end of the study. I think it's always important whenever we see these words end that we think about what's actually being discussed. What end is it? Hey, Joe. Yeah. How, how did that illustration come to your mind? Did you just have somebody trying to call you and you sent them a quick text? <laughs> no, I actually it didn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to because I'm using my phone today anyway. But uh, Oh, okay. Uh, people don't call me, Jeff. You know, uh, I, I just recently got promoted. You know, in Matthew chapter 24, we start out, um, Jesus went out from the temple. So they're in the temple in Jerusalem and he was in the buildings of the temple. So it, it used to fascinate me. Why would his disciples be showing him the buildings of the temple? He's seen it before. They know he's seen it before. But Herod the Great, before Jesus was born, had begun a great building project, uh, vastly uh, expanding the, the, the temple. And uh, this was still ongoing at this time, even as Jesus is now an adult in his 30s. And so maybe they're walking around saying, oh, look at this. Look at what they've done over here. You know, that kind of thing. But what do they call the new, um, uh, the new, the thing that replaced the World Trade Center towers in New York? Is it the Freedom Tower? Yeah. Yeah. So did any of you go down and see it when it was nearing completion? Uh, Did either of you see it? Yeah. I've never been in New York City. So maybe Joe has. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. We would drive by it occasionally as they were in various stages of construction. So, Joe, as it was nearing completion and you and Beth went and you were looking at it and saying, wow, this is, that's really a neat looking building, the way it kind of seems to spiral the lines of it and all. And, and if somebody had walked up to you and said, well, you see this building? And you said, yes. And they said, well, uh, this building is going to be torn down and not a piece of it's going to be left. What would your mind go to? Wow, I mean, this something extremely uh, devastating is going to happen if that building is going to be destroyed. Just like you'd be on the phone with the FBI. <laughs> yeah, and, and and why the FBI? Why wouldn't you think? Well, it's an earthquake. Why would your mind go to the FBI? Well, there's there's already been an attack on the on the the uh, uh, the, the twin towers. So. That's right. That's right. Similarly, as the disciples are looking at this temple and Jesus says it's going to be destroyed not a stone's going to be left their minds would go to the, the last time that happened because right. that temple had previously been destroyed by the Babylonians mm-hmm. and when that had happened 600 years earlier 540 years 570 years I guess maybe by this time when that had happened uh, the, the, the Jews had lost their king he'd been carried away into captivity the the people had been carried away. The, the not only was the temple destroyed, but the walls of the city were destroyed. The uh, the other peoples were brought in to populate their land. It was the end of the Jewish world. And so, when you think about that, Jesus saying to the disciples, "This temple is going to be destroyed." To them, that's wow. Well, when is this going to happen? This is a coming of the Lord. So maybe we need to talk a little bit about verse three, where uh, as he sat on the mount, 
of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the... And my, this translation says end of the world, but most modern translations will say end of the world. End of the age. Yeah. Which I really think is what they're asking. I think they're asking one question here. The coming of the Lord and the end of the Jewish age. That was this idea of the coming of the Lord is something that, that we've seen in the Old Testament. And, and there are various things associated with this coming of the Lord in chapter 24 that we see in the Old Testament. But before we get to that, he, Jesus then goes on. He talks about some signs. And he says in verse 14, and then the end shall come. And so let's talk through this passage. Chase, you brought us here. Let me throw it back to you. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm even going back to verse six. You will be hearing of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for those things must take place. For that is not yet the end. Um, verse 14 going down. Well, really uh, going down to verse 12, because lawlessness has increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Guys, from the best of our understanding, when you look at history, we believe that this is actually Jesus prophesying about what's going to happen in the year AD 70 with the destruction of the temple. What in the context would make us think that's what it's talking about? Well, just like what you went over with us, Jeff, there in verse 1 and 2, Jesus wasn't speaking in hyperbole. He was being pretty clear that this building's going to be destroyed. It's going to be it's going to be oh, taken down. We got him back. <laughs> Maybe so, it's my connection that we're losing. My I just got a message. My connection's unstable. Go ahead. Well, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I cut out or not. So if I'm not making any sense, Joe, you take it from here. Well, I, one thing I would add is even if you go back to chapter 23. Uh, so imagine that conversation that you had about the the, the Freedom Tower. And we're talking about, uh, you know, the, maybe the end of the Twin Towers or something, me and somebody else having a conversation about that. And uh, somebody walks up in the middle of that conversation. They don't know what we've been talking about, but they only hear bits and pieces. They might really wonder, are we talking about the end of the world or something? But I say, no, no, no. Let, let me back up and tell you what we were describing. Well, if we do that with this text, in Matthew 23, Jesus is condemning the religious leaders. And then he closes that in Matthew 23, 37 through 39, to say that Jerusalem is going to be desolated, uh, verse 38. Behold, your house has left you desolate. And so Jerusalem's going to be destroyed? And what about, look at this mm -hmm. temple. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I think if we just follow the, the train of thought through the text, it, what the end is becomes rather obvious, like if you're having a conversation and somebody walks in the middle of it, they might not know, but if you back them up and, and show them the context, then it just becomes much easier and, and certainly less uh, frightening um, uh, for people to read this today. Um, Perry Hall has a comment. Uh, he says, maybe the disciples pointed out the temple to Jesus to basically say, the temple's almost ready for your glorious reign, like, like with Solomon. And then what a shock that Jesus' reign didn't coexist with the temple. That's an interesting uh, uh, juxtaposition, you know, his, his coming reign and, and him saying, wait a minute, this temple's about to be destroyed. But, but I like what you did, Joe, going back to chapter 23 and showing 
that Jesus has been talking about Jerusalem, that city and the people therein and how they had rejected the Lord. In the clincher, of course, is when you get on into Matthew chapter 24 and after Jesus describes all the signs that are going to lead up to the end, the end of Jerusalem, the end of the Jewish temple, the end of the Jewish nation effectively. Uh, verse 34, he says, Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass away till all these things be accomplished. So the generation, and it was, it was within 40 years when, when these things would happen. And so the, Matthew 24 is not talking about the end of time when Jesus comes back, but there's some language in Matthew 24 that gives people problems. Uh, they look at language like in verse 29, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven. And then verse 30, uh, they shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And they look at all that language and they say, well, those things didn't happen in the first well, century. And when you hear about the when you hear about the clouds, the coming in the clouds, what does that immediately make you all think of that we read about earlier? First Thessalonians 4, it sounds very similar. Yeah, it sounds like Jesus coming back in the clouds. Yep. And actually, it's really helpful is is to go back and look at those passages in Isaiah, was it Isaiah 19 and Isaiah 35 or something like that? Yep. Well, yeah, Isaiah, Isaiah 19. Sure what would you say, John? I'm sorry, I talked over you. But no, uh, just Isaiah 19.1, you're spot on there, Chase. Uh, the burden against Egypt, behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come to Egypt. If, if you just take that one verse or, or a part of that verse, you're like, oh, God's going to judge Egypt. But that was something in the in the Old Testament. God was going to do that. God did that. It was it was the, something that God was going to do against Egypt. But He's using this language of God riding on the clouds uh, to to talk about judgment. That's what judgment was going to take place. Right. So, so we know it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to borrow Old Testament language, but it really wasn't uncommon for any of the New Testament writers, for that matter, to borrow this judgment language and then put it in the New Testament. So we need to see it within that context. And so I think the same would be true of Matthew 24, is that yeah. here Jesus is using this judgment language to say, yes, Jerusalem is going to be judged, and it's going to happen, and here's how you can know that it's going to happen. The sun and the moon and the stars going dark is a, is a theme that we see in various places in the Old Testament. We see it in Isaiah, the 13th chapter, in connection with the fall of Babylon that took place in the 6th century B.C., uh, so you'll see that language in Isaiah 13, verse 10, uh, the stars, the moon, the sun, not giving light. You'll see it again in, in Exodus, I mean, Ezekiel, the 32nd chapter, I believe it is. It's Ezekiel 30 and Ezekiel 32 talk about the judgment on Egypt that's going to be described as a day of the Lord. And also along with the clouds and the, I mean, along with the sun, the moon and the stars going dark, you see clouds mentioned. And, and all of those things together are painting a picture of a dark day. So when God would come in judgment against some nation, it would be a dark day for that nation. Uh, basically, the lights went out for that nation. So, um, and to kind of put a cap on that, I, uh, Jeff went there earlier, but in Matthew 24 and verse 34, Jesus will say, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will, will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so, and the oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> nope, that was it. I was just going to say, and so Jesus is clearly saying everything that precedes what I've just said 
it's going to happen in this generation, which turned out to be true. So the, the language that I think a lot you mentioned earlier, Chase, that's, that people will say, well, doesn't Revelation talk about the signs of the end times? And yet what they're often thinking of sounds more like Matthew 24, verse, for example, verse um, 7, 8, and 9. Yes. He says, nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and earthquakes in different places. But all these things are the beginning of travail. Then shall they deliver you up into tribulation and shall kill you and all and you shall all be hated of the nations for my name's sake, and then shall many stumble, and so on. And, and it's that kind of language that I think people have in mind, and yet he's talking about things that were leading up to the fall of Jerusalem in the yes. first century. And, and, and not only that, but even when people are taking this out of context, making it fit the end of the world instead of the end of Jerusalem, they still ignore the plain words in the text, unfortunately. Verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Yeah. The, but you hear people quoting verses 7 and following and saying, oh, that, see, these are signs of the end. No, actually, there has always been wars. There have always been rumors of wars. This is applying to Jerusalem and what's going to happen to the Israelites, but uh, this can't be signs because it's something that's always been going on. So don't, don't, don't let these things trouble you is what he's saying. Now, let me ask you guys this. All right. So we've talked about various judgments that God brought upon nations in the old Testament. And sometimes he would, he would bring judgments that were devastating. And at other times he would bring afflictions. He would bring plagues or pestilences or something as a warning to the people. Is it possible? We, we can't sit here and pretend to know the mind of God other than what he's revealed in Scripture. But is it possible that what's going on in the world right now is a wake-up call from God? Is that possible? Seeing how often God has used these kinds of things throughout the Old Testament, uh, it, it certainly is within the realm of what the Lord has done to call all people to repentance. One of my yeah. favorite passages along these lines is Amos, the fourth chapter. Mm -hmm. um, let's turn over there. Amos, the fourth chapter. And it starts in verse six. Uh, it's where I want to start. Now, this is a, a prophet who lives 700 some odd years before Jesus. A um, little more than that. He says, I gave you also cleanness of teeth in all your cities. By the way, what does that mean if you have cleanness of teeth? Uh, you brush really well, right? I don't think so. <laughs> you'd, be, well, you'd make out, you'd be a good model. So, <laughs> the, the, yeah, well, either you've taken good care of them after you've eaten or you don't have anything to eat to, uh, to make get them dirty. Exactly. And that's the point here. In other words, you're not going to have any food. I gave you also cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. So obviously, what was God's purpose in giving them cleanness of teeth and lack of bread? He wanted them to return to him. But they didn't. So verse 7, furthermore, I withheld the rain from you while there were still three months until the harvest. Then I would send rain on one city and on another city I would not send rain. One part would be rained on while the part not rained on would dry up. So two or three cities would stagger to another city to drink water, but would not be satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Again, what's the purpose of all of this? 
get their attention so that they would repent and turn to the Lord. Verse 9, I smote you with scorching wind and mildew, and the caterpillar was devouring your many gardens and vineyards, fig trees and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10 mentions a plague after the manner of Egypt. At the end of the verse, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. We come down to verse 12, and after all of these Here's what I've done to you, obviously trying to get your attention so that you would turn back to me, and they didn't. Verse 12 says, therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I do this, because I shall do this to you, prepare to meet your God. In other words, judgment is coming. And this thought occurs to me. If, if God is bringing plagues or afflictions or whatever upon some society, upon mankind, trying to get our attention to, that we would return to him, rather than thinking, oh no, this must be a sign that the end is here. It may be a sign that, well, God's still trying to get our attention. He thinks this is still worth trying to get our attention. I don't know. You know, at some point, God's going to, he's going to bring the end. And, and it could be next week. It could be this was the last effort. It could be that we're, we're in verse 11. <laughs> it could be. But yeah. We don't know that. We can't look at what's happening and say, this is a sign that the end is here because God has brought judgments upon mankind throughout history to get their attention. I mean, isn't this kind of this whole idea, one of the themes in the book of Ecclesiastes, you look at the suffering, you look at the horrible things that happen in the earth. And a lot of people, it's ironic. They turn to that and say, well, this proves that there is no God. And the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, who I believe to be Solomon, is saying, no, those very questions are what are supposed to turn you to God, because there's nothing left here that is going to fill you up or satisfy you. And so when you do have moments like this, like the coronavirus or, or death or different things you're confronted with, you need to consider those as an opportunity to consider your mortality and the fact that you're going to die one day and that you need to get right. And so Amen. I think people they look past these opportunities all the time, but especially when it's a pandemic, they're quicker to say, oh, maybe this is a sign from God. Yeah, it probably is. But God has also given you a lot of signs in a lot of other ways as well. Maybe it was just you were driving and, and somebody cut it real close and uh, they, you got close to dying. No damage to your car, no damage to theirs. But I mean, if something else could have just happened in that split second, you were going to die that might be an opportunity for you to wake up and think about life and how you're living your life. So I think we're more tempted in pandemics to quickly say, oh, God's trying to send us a sign. Well, God's sending us signs all the time. It's just whether or not we're willing to open our eyes to them. And just mentioned one of the dangers of, of assuming that this is the end of the world, that this is a sign. I think we saw some of this after 9-11, making the connection with the towers. Uh, you remember that uh, our nation became quite uh, religious for yes. a number of weeks and uh, even for a few months. Um, you know, there was just uh, very outspokenness regarding prayer and God and, you know, uh, calling upon him and so forth. Well, you know what? That wasn't the end of, of America. That wasn't the end of the world. And eventually people just went back to their own routines. Yeah. Um, I've been seeing a lot of talk about when the Spanish flu happened, and then you can go back even way further than that and talk about the black plague or, you know, yellow fever. You know, there have been many occasions where we've had pandemics that have overcome the world. I don't think the coronavirus can be any different. Um, 
so when people are confronted with the end, I don't think they're as much concerned about the end of the world as much as they should be concerned about the end of their life mm-hmm. and what's going to happen there. So I think that's, that's what people need to think about. So you mentioned 9-11 and how uh, immediately thereafter there was at least outwardly a great turning to God. I've heard it mentioned <clears throat> that, um, and Chase is at a disadvantage here, wouldn't remember this, but for people who remember that. Um, I was, I was in kindergarten. Were you? So you do remember it. Yeah, I do. I do remember very little bits and pieces of it, but not. Okay. I don't have a full recollection of it though. Um, for people who remember that, it seems like we're not seeing that same turning to God by the masses, even in a superficial way. What do you think? So I think one of the reasons for that might be uh, that. Um, remember, we had. 3,000 deaths immediately, and that just really shook. Right now, we have the possibility of that. Um, Italy, I, I think maybe a, a closer parallel. Um, was it the president of Italy that made a statement that, you know, we've lost all hope, the only thing is to look up, and, and that's, a, that's a bad paraphrase, but, but basically he had said, we just need to call upon God for mercy. Yeah, uh, well, I, I saw that, and that was one of the things that stood out to me as kind of exceptional. Finally, here's somebody, prominent political leader saying we need to look to God. I, I, I think Mike Pence has said some things along those lines. Yeah. And he, he got absolutely relentlessly trashed for it. I saw many people on a couple different social media sites that are atheist agnostic. And there was a picture of Mike Pence around praying with the coronavirus crew that that's trying to make this problem better. And uh, they said, oh, man, we're doomed because they were praying about it. That is and so sad. I, I'm not making a political statement here, but I am just trying to say this, this is a little bit different religious climate than what it was back in 2001. I mean, and so we're, we shouldn't be shocked if people don't come out of this thinking about God, but in fact, blaming even if there is a God. That is that's that's sad. Well. All right, let's um, let's turn our attention to the book of Revelation, because we, we mentioned that. Chase, you mentioned right at the beginning of the program that sometimes people do think that they find signs of the end times in the book of Revelation. I think you're right. They're often actually thinking of language in Matthew 24, but they have this idea in their heads that the book of Revelation is all about the Lord's coming at the end of time and things that are going to happen in close proximity to that. You know, so, let's talk I about- often... I often, when I get questions like that, when it's about the book of Revelation at all, you know what my first question is, guys? Have you, have all, you, ever, have you all ever actually read the book of Revelation? <laughs> have you ever sat down, and maybe not in one sitting, but at least in, within a couple days, sat down and read the book of Revelation? I've yet to have anybody come back to me and say, oh, actually, I have. <laughs> they normally can't even pinpoint where it is that they're talking about. Right. Joe, you teach Revelation from time to time, I know. I, I do, and it's enjoyable for some of those very reasons that th- this is not a book that is a designed to instill fear and discouragement and terror. Uh, it's written to God's people, and it's, in, it, its intention is to inspire hope and, and victory. It, it's a great message, um, but, yeah. but it is also a message for a specific time that has application today, just like say the the story of, of Noah and the ark. You know, that was something that happened that we can read about 
It happened at a specific time a long time ago, but it has application for us today. Yeah. Book of Revelation is very similar. Mm -hmm. Real quick, we do have a comment from Simon or Teresa Harris, but from the inside of it, I'm going to assume it's Teresa. Because in this context, <laughs> Jesus says his word is forever. That's what we should be reading, not signs that may or may not be signs. And so she's connecting that back to Matthew 24. I think she's exactly right. That's what we need to hold on to. Sorry, go ahead, Joe. Well, no. Uh, uh, so there, there are several keys in the book of Revelation uh, that, that, at least for me, if we just accept them at the beginning and put it in the proper context, then it takes away a lot of the uh, uh, false, uh, I don't want to say false teaching, but, but misunderstandings about the, the book. Um, and so even just like in verse one, the very, the very first be, uh, verse, uh, he says that these are things which must shortly take place. So that's not shortly from May or April 25th, what, what are we, March 25th, uh, 2020. I don't even know what day it is or month. Um, uh, it's shortly from the time that John receives this revelation, about 2,000 years ago. This was something that was getting ready to happen really quickly uh, in his day. And, and then he goes on and he says, after having said shortly to come to pass, in verse 3, he says, uh, the time is at hand. Yeah. And then... He does talk about tribulation. There's a lot about tribulation in the book of Revelation. But interestingly, John, who's writing the book of Revelation at the end of the first century, describes himself as already participating in that tribulation with his readers. Right. So it's in verse 9, I, John, your brother and partaker with you in the tribulation and kingdom and patience, which are in Jesus, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testament of Jesus. He had been exiled to that island. That's part of the tribulation he was experiencing. Yeah. And so one of the one of the things that I've had people come back to me to discuss is uh, this idea of the Lord coming quickly. And he does mention that several different times throughout the book or a few different times uh, throughout the book. Um, but remember that passage we read back in Isaiah 19 and in verse one, the Lord was going to come on a cloud to to judge Egypt. Yeah. So the idea of the Lord coming is not only what we think of as the final or the second coming, the, the Lord comes in various ways to, to judge different people. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 16 is one example of that. He's speaking to a church that was in existence in the first century, the church in Pergamum. He says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Uh, so this was something he was going to do to that congregation, uh, not the end of the world, but if they didn't change, it was going to be their end. Uh, he was going to, to come and deal with them. He was going to fight them with the, with the sword of his mouth. He's going to judge them. And he was going to do that quickly. Go ahead, Chase. Oh, no, I did, I did not have a call. Oh, well, I've got okay. something. In that, in, that same, uh, in that same message to the angel of the church at Pergamum, he also mentions, again, some of the things that they were suffering at that time, part of the tribulation. Antipas is one of them who had been martyred, killed for his faith. And uh, so, again, you see John is writing to people who are already experiencing tribulation. And he's talking to them about how they need to be faithful through this tribulation, and the victory will ultimately be theirs. So in, in uh, the second chapter and verses 8 and following to the angel of the church at Smyrna, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. 
and the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and they are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Fear not the things which you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall have tribulation 10 days. Be thou faithful unto death. So again, it's a letter written to people then who were suffering things then and an admonition to them then to be faithful uh, through what they were suffering at that time. Excellent. Uh, and, and just to, to reiterate, hopefully this isn't beating a horse, uh, dead or alive. Um, uh, but if I just began to read something to you all, uh, and I was talking about that the, 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 the Southern army was uh, approaching Gettysburg and it looked like there was just going to be a ferocious battle that was going to take place there. And uh, it, it just, it looks like there's going to be a lot of people are going to be killed in Gettysburg. Yeah. And maybe you make a mention about general Lee or, or someone. Yeah. 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 So what would you all think? Would you think, Oh no, I've got friends in Gettysburg. No, you're talking about 1863. What was that? <laughs> 1800s. I'm good with that. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not so, a history teacher. Yeah, um, but you know, when we read something, we need to know what's the context, what's the timing, and and all of these things that you mentioned. We we have a man named Antipas there. We have the names of these churches. It's in the first century. To to make these verses say that they're speaking about 2020. Uh, frankly, I think it borderlines a little bit on pride to think that we are the ultimate generation that is going to end with us. Um, you know, why would we think that this is speaking to, uh, to our time? It's historic. Um, There's a history. Centricism or something, but there is this, it's human nature to think that whatever we are experiencing is beyond anything else that is ever experienced. People know about the mark of the beast in Revelation 13. Um, and so, you know, most of our Bibles will give the number 666. And people want to know what that is. Well, depending on at what time you live in history, you'll find different interpretations. And typically, whenever you live in history, uh, people are going to interpret it as somebody at that time in history. Uh, you know, in, back in World War II era, there were people who connected it with Hitler. Um, in the 1970s, there were people who, uh, there, there was a theory that um, Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Um, of course, if you back to the early centuries, you might think it's Nero. And, and there's a way that you can get Nero out of it, whether that's intended or not. I don't know. But the point I'm making is we shouldn't rely on, on our experiences and the headlines in the newspapers in my day and as the means of interpreting the book of Revelation. Okay, excellent point. Great. You know, Caleb Wheeler had a, had a great comment. He said, referring to the book of Revelation, it's a classic message of the good guys will win. So persevere through the present tribulation. I think that's a good way to sum it up. Yep. All right. Anything else we want to do in the book of Revelation? We've got just a couple of minutes. We can do a little bit more before we come to the end of our webcast today. I will, I will mention this. Um, it says in verse, uh, I'm in the sixth chapter. That's not where I need to be. Chapter one, uh, verse 19. The Lord says to John, write therefore the things which thou sawest and the things which are, and the things which shall come to pass hereafter. 
So as you go through chapters two and three, those are the things that are. It's kind of the description of the present condition of the churches that are addressed. And then you get to chapter four, and you have the things that are going to happen thereafter. Verse one, after these things, I saw and behold, a door opened in heaven. And the first voice that I heard, a voice is of the trumpet speaking with me, one saying, come up hither and I will show you things which must come to pass hereafter. But that still doesn't mean 2,000 years hereafter. He's talking about things. For instance, we get to Revelation, the 13th chapter, and you see the, the things described in the book of Daniel, the four great world empires, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. You see those same elements coming together, rolled up into the Roman Empire. And so he's talking about things that are going to happen in the more or less immediate future of the people to whom he's writing. Great, great point. Uh, very good. I think we're about out of time, aren't we? Are we? Yep. Okay. Well, thank you all for, for being with us today. And Lord willing, we will join you again next week uh, at three o'clock Wednesday afternoon for Bible Quest. Thanks, guys. Thank you.